0: This is a picture taken during the Jesus People movement. And I don't know, how many people here have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? You own it. Or oh, I need to borrow it because I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh. Well, this is a picture of, of one of the events that happened. And um, I actually don't know what event this is. But it was a movement that is significant for people coming to Jesus that were least expected to come to Jesus. And they came as they were. They came with their smelly clothes and their dirty feet into churches. And some people did not like it. But they had an encounter with the living Christ. And that would not be denied. When they had that encounter with the living Christ, the living Christ was pushing up against the death of ritualism. Chuck Smith, friends with Lonnie Frisbee, as I'm told, in the movie, he's in the movie. He has this quote. Ritualism is nothing more than a rut, and the only difference between a rut and the grave is the length and the depth. <clears throat> when I was four years old, a month after Pastor Paul founded this church, October 31st, 1981, Halloween night, I was having a conversation with my mom and apparently the foolishness of the preaching That's what the Word of God says. The foolishness of the preaching of my father had stirred me in such a way to ask certain questions of my mother that evening. We were making the bed. I was on one side of the bed. She was on the other side of the bed. We're making her bed together, and I'm asking her questions. And one of the questions is, Mom, why don't we celebrate Halloween? Whether you celebrate Halloween or not, I'll leave that up to you. But I was asking her this question. And she scared me to death. (laughs) Maybe you don't want to celebrate Halloween anymore if you do. (laughs) I learned about demons and the reality of Satan and I was scared. I remember it. The fear marked into my psyche so deeply that I remember vividly where I was standing at four years old. Because what happened next also is marked in my memory. She told me about the living Christ. And at four years old, I had an encounter Not with words on a page, not with the script of scripture, but with the real and living Christ before I could even read. I remember the peace. And then I began to grow more and more through my years as the terror of the nursery, or so I was referred to as. It wasn't a complete work but he did did author the work. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. We all need an encounter with the living Christ. When these people got saved, the Jesus People Movement, not a lot of them knew the scripture. But they did have an encounter with the living Christ that changed their hearts like me, and probably like most of us, if not all of us, before we could understand the words on the page of the Bible. And it is the living word of God, but it doesn't get anchored in life until we have that encounter with the living Christ. His life in us turns our hearts on in such a way that all of a sudden those words on the page start to move. They start to go into our hearts in a way that confirms the newness that he's given us, the real and consistent peace that he's given us, the faith, and most importantly, the love. He pours in our hearts in such a way that turns our hearts on when we encounter him. That said, I'm going to show you a lot of scripture today, as much as the Holy Spirit permits I want to remind us that all scripture is inspired by God. The Greek word for that is theanu stas. It's two words put together. God breathed. The living God breathes in 40 authors to write the scriptures. And they have one common thread throughout the whole 1,500 years of the authorship. The living Christ. Through it all, Old and New Testament, Hebrews 13 tells us He's the same, Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and forever. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive everything you want us to. We bless all that you're doing in our midst. Let's begin our journey. Acts 11 is very interesting. It takes place after Acts chapter 10, if you didn't know. Acts chapter 10, Peter is doing something unprecedented. He's actually doing something that Jesus wanted him to do way before Acts chapter 10. But he's finally getting it because he has an encounter with the living Christ and he goes into a Gentile establishment He meets a Gentile named Cornelius and Cornelius has also had an encounter with the living Christ and he has a vision as well and God has brought them together so that the living Christ can be brought in fullness to the Gentiles. Or for the sake of this message to the hippies. Or for the sake of this message anybody that we would say oh they can't be in our midst. He wants them all and he says come as you are. And so Peter goes, and he's amazed at what's happened. And in Acts chapter 11, he's getting interrogated by the Pharisees, the Pharisees that have become Christians. Because Peter, they say, you went in to uncircumcised men. And Peter gives them this response. I began to speak to them. The Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who was I that I could withstand God? The ritual of circumcision, Peter is saying, because he's at an encounter with the living Christ, the ritual in the death of circumcision no longer has any bearing. What has bearing is who God says is mine. And sometimes we need to be reminded, I know I do, that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher. His words are greater. He sees better. He knows better. And we also need to remind ourselves, Holy Spirit, thank you. While we were still sinners, God loved us. He didn't condone the sin. We know that. we should he wasn't saying the sin was okay he was saying he still loved us and he was drawing us in and in and in this is the message that peter is spreading and this is the message that's taking root in that first early church it says in verse 18 they became silent and they glorified god these pharisees turned christian who were locked into the ritual of circumcision. They became silent and they glorified God because they understood the pivotal experience that it is to encounter the living Christ. He has brought salvation, they said, to the Gentiles. If you didn't know it, we're Gentiles. (laughs) Unless there's a Hasidic Jew or some purebred Hebrew here. (laughs) We're Gentiles and God loved us. And there's a lot of people that sometimes we turn our nose down to. I'll give you one. Whenever one of us might say, oh, that's entitlement. They're just entitled. They're living off my taxpayer dollars. That's someone that Jesus wants to reach. And if we would prescribe on them or force on them a definition of what it means to come to the Lord as saying you need to put down your entitlement first? We need to watch ourselves. (laughs) Really, we do. Because what we're doing is we're projecting on them something that's not healed in us. Because if it was healed in us, we'd see them for the broken and needy person they are. No, I may not be acting out on the entitlement, but I am grudgingly working I'm working these years and years and years, earning, and it's all from God anyways, earning my wage, earning my living. And that anger and that bitterness that's inside that did not give expression yet to action gives expression through a judgment and a condemnation of others. Holy Spirit, we thank you for anything you want to reveal in our midst. Peter has this conversation he declares to them that they had an encounter with the living Christ. Three years later, Acts chapter 15, they're having the same discussion about circumcision. The Holy Spirit upon James, the brother of Jesus, who's had an encounter with the living Christ, after he's resurrected, knew him as a brother, a physical brother, when Christ was incarnate, but after he's risen, he has an encounter with the living Christ, his heart's changed, and he declares this over that first council in Jerusalem. I judge, James says, we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality. And things strangled and things with blood reiterating things polluted by idols he's declaring to them that circumcision doesn't matter the ritual doesn't matter but something does matter abstaining from things polluted by idols and abstaining from sexual immorality this is a message on communion believe it or not why would James specify those specific instances? It goes deeper than just the culture of the city of Corinth. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Corinth. Paul explains it in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. He who has relations with, another, with a woman or with a man, with another person, the two become one flesh. And in this discourse on sexual immorality, he spells out the immorality of homosexuality, uh, fornication, sex outside of marriage, adultery. It's a list, the most clear list on sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6. And as he's talking about this, he's referring to what happened when Jesus declared in the garden the righteous marriage between Adam and Eve, chapter 2 of Genesis the two will become one flesh. Whenever we have relations with, and I'm talking sexual relations, physical, carnal, sexual relations with someone outside of marriage, the two become one flesh. James is saying, we want you to have an encounter with the living Christ. I am declaring that circumcision no longer stands in the way. However, if someone takes that oneness, that communion with Christ, and exchanges it for something less than sexual immorality, relations with another person, they are dividing that oneness that Christ wants to have with them. This is why it's important for sexual immorality not to happen. Idols. Jesus declares in Mark chapter 12, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're supposed to be one with him. When we divide our hearts and say, I'm only feeling good and I only have peace. When I have this God in my life, a lot of the times it's money the spirit of mammon we divide our our sense of security we divide our trust from god and we step over here and partner with the spirit of mammon it's a form of idolatry when we say my family first we say god first family second which i don't see that in scripture i see god first and then the rest follows whatever he wants but we say family first in our culture and sometimes in church. my family first and family second. And all the while when we act out, we're saying, oh, I can't do this because I have this obligation with my family. I can't do this because I have this obligation with my family. I'm not saying you can't be with families. It's really good to be with families. God gave them to us. But there are times in our Christian walks where he comes first. And it's so substantive. It's so material. It's so expressed. The kingdom of heaven here on earth where we go, where we follow the leader. We follow Jesus, the living Christ. And we do what he did. Gone many times from his family. Bless our families. It's a wonderful testimony of the grace of God. Don't hear me saying anything other than that. But curse the idolatry. Bless the oneness with God. Curse the idolatry where things come before God and they ought not to come before God. The link between Acts 15 and communion, I'm going to attempt to communicate that. I never saw this before. And I want to confess to you that I've never, I've never seen some of the things that I'm I'm talking about and I I needed to. Maybe you're ahead of me and that's fine. God bless you. (laughs) Bless you and and your stage in Christianity. But this is really important. What I'm seeing—I just was reading First Corinthians. I want to encourage you to read it because I'm spreading through it a lot here. I'm only going to be in chapter ten, but the whole of the scripture points to an encounter with the living Christ. The whole of the First Corinthians letter points to that encounter with the living Christ, and it secondarily brings out and highlights the importance of communion. It's the longest discourse in Scripture on communion, and He's showing me some things. And Holy Spirit, help me. Communicate those things in Jesus' name. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, Our fathers, he's talking to Gentiles. He's already gotten over circumcision. That's no longer a divider between them and Christ. Our fathers. He's including the Gentiles in the fold. Our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He's already talked about divisions, if you read the book. He's already talked about divisions. He's already talked about sexual immorality. He's founded it in their midst. And from chapter 5 on, he's building this case for the communion and the importance of encountering the loving, living Christ in communion. And he's saying that those people that came out, the children of Israel that came out of, the, the, out of Egypt after the Exodus, those people are not a, a lot different than us. They were led by a cloud, Holy Spirit. They did pass through the sea, symbolic of baptism, they ate the same spiritual food, manna. They drank the same spiritual drink, the water that came out of the rock. And he's referring to Christ in the Old Testament. That rock is Christ. Oral tradition in the Hebrew tellings is that a rock actually followed them. It wasn't just a pillar of fire or a cloud by night, a cloud by day leading them. It was a rock that followed them. This is Rabbi Paul teaching us and instructing us and his inspiration from the Holy Spirit, what happened. Here's the connection with Acts 15. These things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as some of them, nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. You see the connection? This book, 1 Corinthians, is written before the Gospels. 53-54 A.D. Before the recordings of Scripture of what Jesus did at the Last Supper, Paul is writing this. And he's going off from James, the earliest book written in the Scripture. And James is saying, hang on to this. Avoid sexual immorality, avoid idolatry. And here Paul is espousing the same thing. Stay away from that stuff. And he's going to tell us why in verse 20. I do not want you to fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he That word fellowship is the same word we just read in the earlier verses of 1 Corinthians 10, communion. I never saw that before. It's the Greek word koinonia, interpreted as communion earlier and translated fellowship here. But what Paul is explaining is there are two tables there's a table with demons, and there's a table that's the Lord's. And you can't partake at both. You can't have communion with both. I either <laughs> love God and I'm loyal to Him with all my heart, or I love the spirit of mammon. I love money. I either love God with all my heart, or I love my family. You can't do both. All that is in the world, John, Jesus' beloved disciple, all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of those things originated in Genesis 3. When Eve and Adam ate, there's a significance with what we eat, what we drink. When they ate, their eyes were opened. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, encounters two disciples. And they don't know it's him until they partake. He gives them the bread. He breaks them the bread. He's having communion with them. And then their eyes are open, and they know that it's him. This communion that we have with the Lord is a big deal. And I'm confessing to you, I am learning that. It's welling up inside of me like it never has. He wants us to be one with him. It's, ex- it's exciting to encounter the living Christ the very way that he said we could. We call it a sacrament, but that term is so often abused. I've abused it. Maybe you haven't. It's, it's, you think of sacrament, and, and maybe if you're like me, you've thought about it as a ritual. But what, he, what this, the term sacrament actually means is an avenue, a conduit through which Jesus reveals himself. Are you with me? I am blowing through some of this. And I encourage you do what I do. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Listen to things again. Go through them again if you're missing something. Jesus is the source of life. He's not just a resource that we go to I need this, I need this, I need this. He's the source of everything. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. The things that afflict my soul, the things that afflict my spirit, the things that afflict my body, the spirit of the living Christ sets me free. It's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. We encounter that when we have communion with him. This verse is often quoted in our circles and unfortunately, misinterpreted. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. This is in the context. The full context of this is the communion, the Lord's table. How to do it wrong and how to do it right. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able that doesn't say you're, going to get, you're never going to get anything more than you can handle. It's going to happen daily. <laughs> he's not saying you can, you're not going to get more than you can handle. You will absolutely get more than you can handle. He's designed it so. He's allowing these temptations. He's allowing these pressures to come into our lives so that we will go to him, the living Christ, in communion and receive our escape. It's not a know-how podcast, a step-by-step flashy sermon that someone puts forth or a teaching or a catchy phrase that we hear on the radio. It's not Pastor Josh speaking, although he is in my words, I believe it. He's in the words you share with me and we share with each other. The source is the living Christ. The source is Jesus. That's the way of escape. Keep reading. Right after that verse about temptation. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. Those that can begin to process, he's talking to. Begin to understand these things. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? To take that verse in its proper context, we have to understand when we face temptation, he is calling us to be one with him in it. And therein is the escape. His body broken so that mine doesn't have to be. His blood spilled out, the life source spilled out so that I can receive his life. We so often go through these cycles. I'm in a valley again. I'm in the hill again. I'm in the valley again on the same issues. I thought I had forgiven my sister. I thought I had forgiven my brother. And there it is again. No temptation, the temptation to hold a grudge against somebody, to hold bitterness against somebody, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God has provided the way of escape. When we find ourselves in those cycles, here I go again, I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't be looking at. It's having an encounter and a oneness with Christ that He wants. That's the solution. That's the escape. It's not willpower there might be some deliverance. Almost always there's some deliverance. Some sozo involved. Because I have to learn, wow, this has been blocking me from encountering the living Christ all these years. That's why this cycle, this pattern, is in my life. And when he reveals that, the Holy Spirit reveals that, look out. This house is a testimony. This house is full of people that have been set free and free indeed. Encountering the Living Christ. <laughs> Becky and I were in uh, Boston for some of her treatments several years ago and we went to the Old North Church where Paul Revere did his famous ride and they were shining the lights. I don't even know, was it 2 by C, whatever, I can't remember. You guys know. <clears throat> I walked into the sanctuary from the back And I noticed one thing right off the bat. The pulpit was not here, the pulpit was over here to the side of the stage elevated. What was right in the center was the Lord's table. I began to look at when that might have changed. It was in recent years, in recent history, this became the center. And that that the Lord's table began, was put to the side. I don't know that we can do it in our current church. Maybe with an addition we can. We've got a lot going on, more people coming. but it is rightly fitting. It's proper. To let the Lord be the center, and in our hearts, He is the center of this place. He is. He is the center of this place. But He wants, just like He expresses us and gives us the sacrament of communion in a material way, He wants us to materially express Him being the center—not an idol, not a ritual, not liturgy—but literally being the center. It's a big. It's a big deal. I was sharing last night, and I was in the Spirit when I did this, and I'm going to share it today because I feel like it was right last night. We're going to be doing communion more often. He wants people that we don't expect to come through those doors. And the number one thing they need is to encounter Jesus. Not a religious ceremony, but a life-bringing ceremony or they remember, or they're brought into an experience with the living Christ as they remember and they encounter his body being broken for them and his blood spilled. Let me show you one more verse. Paul gives this requirement for being in communion. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. I never saw this before. And I want to apologize for not seeing it before. I want to say I'm sorry for not seeing this before. I was under the misguided and forgiven <laughs> he forgives, understanding that you can't come to the Lord's table in your sinful state. Sometimes the English doesn't do a good job translating what what the original language is. That, that That word in the Greek, anoxios, actually means irreverently. Not unworthy, but irreverently. You and I, not one of us are perfect. When I was talking about temptation, some of us were saying, yeah, I can relate to that. And there is grace and there is safety and there is love for that. He's saying, come as you are, just be reverent. Honor who I am as you come. Don't knowingly partake with the table of demons. Partake with me. Have communion with me. Examine yourself. We can't do it without God. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to examine us, search us, and know us, and see if there's any wicked way in us. And as he reveals things, we are being transformed, saints. Not one of us have finished yet. But as he reveals things, as we come into an encounter with the living Christ at the Lord's table, because we're, we're, we're honoring him, because we're fearful of him in a healthy way like we should be, we're respecting him, we're responding to what he's saying. That's what Paul's talking about. When we come to the table irreverently, not honoring God, not respecting who he is, that's when weakness and death happens. The curse stays. Because we're not leaving the table with demons and communing wholly with the Lord at his table. Make sense? Do you dare take communion at this point? <sighs> really, honestly, how can you dare not to? Holy Spirit, we invite you to examine us right now. See if there's any wicked way in us. Search us and know us. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken. Your body broken for us, made away so that we can be separated from the table of demons and divided completely to you. We repent for the lies that you've revealed in these moments that we've been partnering with. We repent for those lies, we turn from them, we turn to you, Jesus. We sever by the authority and the power of Jesus. We sever any partnership with the demonic. Saints of God, that is a proof text. Verses 20 and 21 of 1 Corinthians 10, it's a proof text that Christians can have demons. He's talking to Christians. Not saying you're possessed, not saying you're under control, but you may be under the influence. I may be under the influence, and as the Holy Spirit reveals, we let go of it. We turn from it, and there's an exchange. So we say no, we say no to the table of demons, and we say yes to the Lord's table. That table that is the avenue through which we encounter you as the living Christ. We thank you for your body broken for us making it possible, and we partake together. We thank you for your blood. You said, Jesus, this blood is the new covenant. You spilled your blood so that we could have life in you. You spilled your blood as a sacrifice that was required, paid for our sins. We believe it. And we're united in that, Father, how precious that is to you, that we're united, we're one in the living Christ. And so as we partake, we declare we love you, Father, with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we love each other as ourselves. the true communion. Father, I bless all the ways that you're providing the escape as we commune with you. All the ways that you're opening up our hearts to the things that should be opened up. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. As you stand to your feet, I want to remind you, these are the last words recorded by John at the Farewell Discourse, when he's, the night he's betrayed. John 16, verse 33. He's spoken this whole beautiful passage, beautiful living words to the disciples. And he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You cannot overcome without him. Aren't you happy? Aren't you happy that he's inside of us? That he's here in our midst? And that we can be with him in communion and walk in that victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Amen. Bless you, bless you, bless you. If you would like prayer for anything, anything, just come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Bless you.